0: Domingo Santana, Ooh, I wanna have ya to knock us for cocktail?
1: Friday and welcome into Fantasy Baseball today, presented by Line and Kugels. More on their great variety of beverages later on in the podcast. Frank Stanfell, joined by Scott White, here to get you ready for week 13. It's already week 13 in Fantasy Baseball. We have sleepers, two-star pitchers, a prospect report from Scotty Dubs. Let's talk about some Giants hitters, mid-tier starting pitchers, Matt Manning's debut, and of course, an update on Jacob DeGrom. What's up, Scott? How was your Thursday? It was great.
0: Good day. Thursday, what a day. Kokomo (laughs) Friday, even better.
1: That's right. Of course it is. All right. No more wasting time. We didn't really waste that much time. It's actually a pretty good start for us. Jacob deGrom. Scott, you were the eternal optimist last night, and I do appreciate that. And the MRI showed no structural damage in Jacob deGrom's shoulder. He met with two doctors, and neither was concerned about that shoulder As well. So some good news there. He has not been placed on the IL to my knowledge. Is that
0: right, Scott? Uh, I have not seen that he's been placed on the IL. No, I I think they're still potentially talking about him making his next start.
1: Oh my gosh. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) let's. All right. This is good news. You know, glass half full. Let's take it easy here, Mets. You know, I understand fantasy managers. Yes, of course. We want Jacob deGrom to pitch best pitcher on the planet, maybe of all time, the way he's pitching right now. But If he skips a start here, two starts, whatever it might be, that's fine in the long run. We need Jacob deGrom, Scott. You were on record yesterday saying that you would not be trying to shop him in a trade. Overall, you are not very worried about this situation for him. I, I was a little bit more skeptical. Let's just say, Scott, hypothetically, if you did want to shop Jacob deGrom, what would you be looking for in return?
0: Uh, well, uh, clearly it would have to be another first-round caliber player. You don't give up one of those without getting one in return. And we were kind of talking about it before we started recording here. You know, DeGrom's case, just a, just a first-rounder? So, like, would, I don't know, Freddie Freeman suffice? Obviously not. like It, it would have to be probably more like a top-five player, right? Yes. So who are the top-five players? I think if we put... Rank rest-of-season rankings together, we would probably have the same five hitters at the top. In some order, it would be Ronald Acuna, Fernando Tatis, Vladimir Guerrero, up there now. But then probably Mookie Betts and Juan Soto, neither of whom has lived up to expectations so far, neither of whom has been anywhere close to a top-five player so far. So, you know, rest-of-season rankings are what they are, but in, in theory... Just because they've underwhelmed, you should be able to get more than just them for Degrom. If you were going, if you were going to trade Degrom, I'm not saying you should trade Jake Degrom. You've Jake Jacob Degrom. You have forced this exercise upon me. I have, and so, <laughs> and so this is how I'm. Uh, this is how I size it up. But I think, like if you if you were if you if you couldn't get Vlad Acuna or Tatis for him. You should treat it like a buy low scenario if you're going after like a Betts or Soto and and get more than just that in return for Degrom. And I don't even know if that's possible. I mean, maybe everyone's still, maybe everybody's freaked out about Degrom's health. Then they're they're not even going to respond to that right now. That's that's a likely scenario too. That that's actually how I presumed things would go if you tried trading him before MRI results came back. Mm-hmm. It just wouldn't even be worth trying because either either he, either it'll turn out he's fine and you sold low on him, or, I mean, you couldn't get fair fair value for him, bottom line, until until there was some word one way or the other. And now we have more word, but it's still not entirely in in the clear because we don't know if he's going on the IL, as we pointed out. We don't know if he's going to miss a turn. The MRI on his shoulder came back clean. Two doctors signed off on it. Sounds like he's fine, as has been true every time DeGrom has left with an injury and the baseball world was panicked over it, which is why I was saying not to panic. You know, know, every time this happens, we don't know how it's going to turn out, obviously. But history would suggest more likely than not he's fine. And history continues to suggest that.
1: All right, so... If we can pair a top five-ish hitter coming into the season, a Mookie Betts, a Juan Soto, with another piece, let's say like a top 20-ish starting pitcher, Scott, like a Joe Musgrove, Sandy Alcantara with one of those hitters, would that suffice?
0: Yeah. All right. Sounds pretty good. If, if, If you felt like you had to trade DeGrom.
1: Yes, which again... Let's be clear, Scott doesn't want to trade DeGrom, but just for this exercise, if you are someone who is worried about Jacob DeGrom on your team and you're trying to figure out what you can get for him, one of the top three hitters in baseball, maybe there's a Met fan in your league that has Garrett Cole on his team and for some reason they want to make that trade. I don't think that they would, but who knows? Some people are kind of weird like that when it comes to fantasy baseball. They want to have their favorite players from their favorite teams on their fantasy teams, which I don't think you should ever run your team like that, but whatever. Uh, all right, Scott, let's get into some of Thursday's action.
0: Oh, my good,
1: goodness gracious. Oh, my goodness gracious, Scott. Stand out from Thursday. Who you got?
0: I have a fella by the name of Wade. Wade Miley. Oh, I thought it was going to be Le, LeBlanc. <laughs> For the past two days, uh, when we were, you know, talking about streamer pitchers, for the upcoming Thursday, he was the only one who I could even halfway recommend going against the Padres, who don't rate as highly offensively as you might think. But you know, it's Wade Miley, so it was it was it was half hearted. It was a half hearted recommendation for me. But Wade Miley was great against the Padres, two earned runs in seven innings. Uh, both of those runs were actually on solo home runs, which is interesting for reasons I'll get to in a minute. But overall, Wade Miley has a 288 ERA. He has, yeah, he has a 288 ERA. Sorry, I got lost in my notes here for a second. It's okay, I forgive you. (laughs) But here's the thing. Wade Miley this year also had a start at Coors Field way back on May 14th. Three innings, 11 hits, eight earned runs in that start at Coors Field. Terrible, terrible start. Terrible starts are always forgivable at Coors Field, right? That's what we always say.
1: We just saw Brandon Woodruff have his worst start of the season on Thursday.
0: And yet, Wade Miley has a 280 ADRA for the year. So, you take out that terrible start at Coors Field... What you're left with is 11 starts from Wade Miley in which he has compiled a 192 ERA, a 0.93 whip, 7 Ks per nine. Now, is that totally fair? I mean, bad starts do count. And, you know, ERAs, whips, they're not compiled, you know, by by the pitcher doing the exact same thing every time. There's going to be some good starts. There's going to be some bad starts. Fair enough. But it was at Coors Field. And we always say pitchers deserve a pass for that. So if we're truly giving him a pass for that, Wade Miley has a sub-2 ERA on the year. Also, he has a career-high ground ball rate, 56.8, where if he had enough innings to qualify, and I think he missed a little time with injury this year, if he had enough innings to qualify, it would be the second-highest ground ball rate among qualifying pitchers. And as I said, a career-high. So he's doing that better than he's ever done it before. He's always done it well. Um, but he's doing that better than ever. And um, he has had an amazing season. Nothing short of amazing. If you do give him a true pass for that course field start. So I guess what I'm trying to say is Wade Miley's probably must roster. He's 71% rostered in CBS Sports Leagues. I'm sure it's lower than that. And, and obviously he's not going to help mention strikeouts. The whip is probably going to be a little high compared to the ERA. But he's better than I've been giving him credit for, and you know that—that's true in a career sense too. I, I do think him having a career high ground ball rate. You know, he's he's probably better than ever right now. But three of the past four years, he's had a a sub four ERA. Uh, in fact, in 2018, he had a 2.57 ERA. The one year he didn't have a sub four ERA during that four year stretch was last year, which wasn't even really a true season. And in fact, he made only six appearances. So, uh, Wade Miley's pretty good.
1: Pretty good he is. And over his last four starts, since he's returned from the IL, he's got a 1.80 ERA during that span. Obviously, pitching in Cincinnati, it's a hitter's park. You want him to keep the ball on the ground. That's exactly what he is doing and has done all season long. And he's been throwing his cutter a ton. It's basically his main pitch. Um, I'm pretty sure that's always been the case, but I feel like he's throwing his cutter even more this year. So it's translated to success. He's 71% rostered. He's at the Minnesota Twins next week, which technically is not the greatest matchup because they have the fifth best WOBA against left-handed pitching. But I do agree with you, Scott. I think at this point, he should be a must-roster starting pitcher going into San Diego an offense that has struggled recently, but overall still a really good offense. Go seven innings, two runs, five strikeouts. So really, really strong season thus far for Wade Miley. Make sure to get him on your team if he is available. And Scott, I wanted to highlight Shohei Ohtani, who we talk about quite a bit here. And he was going up against the Tigers, which is a pretty good matchup. Six innings, one run, one walk, five strikeouts. Didn't have a ton of whiffs in this game. Only six swinging strikes on 78 pitches. His spin rate, if you... <laughs> look at this it was way down on all of his pitches it was like an absurd amount Uh, and he actually changed up his pitch mix in this start 32 sliders was a career high for him according to the broadcast that I was watching it was actually being broadcast on YouTube as a national game Uh, so yeah they brought that up that kind of changed up the pitch mix didn't throw his splitter as much and over his last seven starts I'm not really concerned about the spin rate stuff because he was still pretty good in the start uh last seven starts 2.53 ERA with 50 strikeouts over 39 and two thirds innings pitch next week. He's at Tampa Bay, Scott. And I find myself kind of having this dilemma now because he's great as a hitter. There's no doubt about that. I read off his pace numbers the other day. He's averaging 3.6 fantasy points per game, which is the same amount as names like Rafael Devers and Bo Bichette, who we consider obviously elite bats. But, When we have all these pitchers going down with injury and I tell you that Otani has a 2.53 ERA over his last seven starts. Don't you kind of want to get him in there as a pitcher? What what if you don't have a choice, right? No. No. Okay. No. I thought I would make the case. He's a borderline
0: first round hitter. (laughs) Yeah, but the way that he's he's
1: pitching right now, he's obviously not a borderline first round pitcher, but he's pitching. Like if he were to keep this up over the remainder of the season, that's like a top 20 top 25ish starting pitcher, which is very valuable
0: yeah, but it's not as valuable as a top 10 maybe hitter
1: you're right All right, I thought <laughs> like, I, I thought it would make the case because look people uh, no, obviously I, are struggling for pitching now with all these guys getting hurt and
0: you know uh-huh. pitching is
1: regressing a little bit and it I mean it's regressing for a few others it's not really regressing for Otani right now so he's pitching yeah, I mean, really he's, well he's he's,
0: ne- he's never going to have a two start week. So Correct. that's, you know, you're, you're always talking just one start and it may be a short start and you don't get the benefit of his hitting, which is really, yeah, uh, really, it's, it's just too valuable to take out of your, like I'd rather, you know, I hate streaming one start pitchers as much as we talk about it on the podcast, as much as I have to write about it. I just, I just don't like the strategy of it, but I would rather do that than remove Otani's bat from my lineup. Now, there are some fantasy sp- fantasy baseball providers out there who who split Otani into two players. So there's some people out there listening who have just pitching-exclusive Otani.
1: Yeah.
0: And, yeah, I mean, obviously you're happy with the way things are going if you have him, and and you feel much more confident starting him than you did earlier this season. But, you now if, if you plan a site like CBS where you have to choose hitter or pitcher stats every week, Can't imagine I would ever start the pitcher. And I know you said you say you have before. So I did it
1: one week because he was in the National League for three games where he didn't play. Actually, that could be the determining factor. Let me pull up his schedule and just see what the Angels are doing next week if they have any games in National League parks. Because if they do, he might have his playing time cut short as a hitter. And I need to move him up.
0: Just in terms of my pitch but, rankings. But the thing is, and this happened in one of the series where because they had two back-to-back weeks where they had a series in an NL park, they, the Angels did. But he was the starting pitcher for one of those games, so he still got to bat. And I think he moved to the outfield after he came out as a pitcher. So he yes. he got a full. And even on the days when he's not pitching in an NL park, he always pinch hits. So you know you're you're gonna get a couple of at bats from that. The angels so, play. Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's arguable. I'm saying even in that case.
1: Yeah, the angels play five games next week. Does that sway it a little bit, Scott? No. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So <laughs> keep Otani in as a hitter. He does have outfield eligibility now on CBS, which obviously helps him. And uh, I did just want to have you make a guess, Scott. Where do you think Otani ranks in Roto this year?
0: Uh, well, I, I assume he has a separate ranking. Hitting and pitching, but just, so you're asking me about the hitting?
1: Yeah, I guess it says a
0: hitter. I assume so. Um, I would say he ranks
1: fifth. He is eighth overall, behind only Vlad Fernando Tatis and Ronald Acuna. Would you trade Jacob DeGrom for Shohei Otani, Scott?
0: Oh, eighth overall, but the fourth hitter? Yes. Okay. So, uh, DeGrom for Otani, no.
1: All right. Well, opposing Shohei Otani in the start was Matt Manning, who is a... Top prospect in the game, top pitching prospect for the Detroit Tigers. He wasn't pitching that way at AAA this season. He had an ERA over eight, and he had a, I'll say, okay start. It was an okay debut, certainly better than some of the other prospects we've seen called up. But at the Angels, five innings, two runs, two walks, only three strikeouts, had six swinging strikes on 77 pitches, and he threw his four-seam fastball 70% of the time. He did mix in a curve, a slider, and a changeup, so he does have three secondary pitches. He didn't use them very much. He averaged 93.9 miles per hour on that fastball. He retired 10 of the final 12 batters that he faced, so I thought that that was pretty impressive, Scott. Matt Manning, 31% rostered. He's up against the Cardinals next week, who are struggling mightily in the month of June, so would you be interested in adding Matt Manning and potentially streaming him next week?
0: My knee-jerk reaction when I saw the, fin- the, the final line was, oh, of course, Manning was the one we were talking down, and he actually comes in and has a good start. But digging deeper into it, I, I didn't like what I saw. I didn't like what I saw for Matt Manning. Uh, the curveball has always been marketed as his best pitch. You know, he was a big strikeout guy in the minors. Uh, the curveball was supposed to be a big deal. He threw only six of them. It was mostly fastballs, and I think slider he used the second most. He got six whiffs on seventy-seven pitches, so you know, not a great rate there. Ninety-three point nine is what he averaged on the fastball. Meh. I think that's I think that's a little lower than I was expecting too. But really, what what jumped what stood out to me most? Low, low spin rate on everything, way low. The fastball, you know, the RPM on the fastball was below two thousand on average. I mean. When we were complaining about the low spin rate on on uh, on Chris Paddock's fastball, it was still spinning more than that. Yeah. So.
1: I do I, I do remember that recently Terek Skubal's spin rate was down quite a bit as well, so.
0: Well, I don't know if it's down. I don't know, I have anything to compare it to.
1: Right, um, right, right. But. But, I mean, it, look, AJ Hinch is their manager, so I wouldn't put anything past <laughs> him.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, yeah, I, I I don't know that I'd be moved to pick up Manning after this start 15 team league, but I, you know, I was willing to pick him up in the first place in a 15 team league because there's just so little out there on the waiver wire in such a format.
1: All right. So 12 teamers, 12 team points leagues, 12 team roto. We're not there yet for Matt Manning. Alright, so in deeper leagues, you can take a shot on him, but shallower, shallower ones, not yet. Before we get to the news and notes, we have an awesome giveaway for you, which will be extended through the month of July. CBS Sports and Westinghouse are teaming up to give away a 55-inch TV, a portable power station, and an air purifier over the next month. Go to cbssports.com slash homerun. That's cbssports.com slash H-O-M-E-R-U-N, to enter. We'll put the link in the episode description as well. Contest ends July 31st at cbssports.com slash home run. No purchase necessary, must be 18 or over, and reside in the United States. And just another reminder, and we brought this up on yesterday's podcast, we will be doing this Monday, and presumably every Monday after that, a YouTube-exclusive Q&A Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern time. Make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. Come hang out. Ask us questions about fantasy baseball, real-life baseball, trade deadlines coming up. Ask us about pizza. More people tweeting in, telling me about, uh, I've lived in New York my whole life. It's a regular slice. It's a plain slice. So it's pretty fun, Scott, to, to see the debating of cheese versus regular. So let us know. Come hang out. Q&A this Monday, YouTube Exclusive news and notes: Alex Bregman was placed on the 10-day IL with a left quad strain. Scott, any interest in his replacement, Abraham Toro, who hit
0: a home run on Thursday? Yeah, he did, and he was uh, he was kicking butt at AAA too, Abraham Toro. And I should point out, since I presume the majority of our audience plays on CBS. For some reason, he's called Abraham Toro Hernandez on CBS, and it's always been that way. I don't know why, but it's a hyphenated last name, Toro Hernandez, but he's Abraham Toro everywhere else. So um, Abraham Toro at AAA was hitting 352 with two home runs, two steals, an OPS over 1,000. He had more walks than strikeouts, obviously a small sample because he spent part of this year in the majors. But with his four at-bats today, he's up to 16 at-bats in the majors this year. Has yet to strike out <laughs> in 16 at-bats, which I thought was pretty cool. He's always had a good minor league track record, all, record. Always always been a good contact hitter with seemingly enough power to maybe amount to something in fantasy. And, um, uh, you know, he hasn't in past opportunities, but he's still only 24. So I'm, I'm kind of interested in him. The Astros have the most favorable hitter matchups this upcoming week. So if you're really, really, uh, really stretching for a hitter to pick up and maybe start, I wouldn't totally overlook Abraham Toro.
1: In terms of other third-base replacements, Scott, some third basemen that are rostered in less than 70% of CBS leagues. I'll read off a few names. You let me know your one or two favorites from this group. Uh, Miguel Sano, Alec Bohm, Patrick Wisdom, Jonathan India, Jamer Candelario. Of those five, who's your two favorites?
0: Uh, could you go through the names one more time for me here?
1: Yes, Sano, Bohm, Wisdom, India, Candelario.
0: I think India's is number one for me. He homered on Thursday. Actually, a big home run off Mark Melanson, uh, who had who entered <laughs> the game. What was Mark Melanson's ERA coming into the game? It was zero point six four, and in, India had a big two-run homer off him. He's been batting leadoff for a while now. His on-base percentage is closing into three seventy. It's been a lot higher than that since uh, since mid-May. So uh, I'm I'm really I'm really becoming fond of Johnny India, and uh, he'd be my favorite. My second favorite, let's say. Trying to find this list in the notes. Uh, I, I, I think it's probably wisdom right now. I don't have a lot of faith in wisdom. I just don't care enough about the others. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, that's fair. Uh, yeah.
1: All right. So, India and wisdom. The, that's the captain, Jonathan India, with that curly mustache. I believe he walks out to the Pirates of the Caribbean theme during home games in hmm. Cincinnati. Tyler Glass now was transferred to the 60-day I.L., which means the earliest he can return is mid to late August, Scott. Would you be okay dropping Tyler Glass now if you only had a finite amount of IL st- IL spots on your team?
0: Well, yeah. I mean, it, it was always a question of you have to have an IL spot that that can be made free for Glass now. And, um, you know, I'd still prefer not to, but it, it just depends. You know, you're, you're making the decision drop him or somebody else. Uh, I, I do. I do think it's a question whether Glass now is the, you know, class. He doesn't automatically get preferential treatment there.
1: Mike Trout will resume baseball activities in a few days. His timeline remains mid-July ish. Zach Allen made his return on Thursday, and he was at the Giants. Two and two-thirds, four hits, four runs, three strikeouts. He only threw fifty-eight pitches. However, he averaged ninety-five point one miles per hour on his fastball, which is up from ninety-three point three. Miles per hour, which he was averaging on the season, Scott. So fastball velocity up, everything else yep. bad.
0: Well, the spin rate was fine, which is notable, uh, especially since Gallon <laughs> he kind of threw his old GM from from the Marlins, Mike Hill, under the bus. Mike Hill works for MLB now, and uh, Gallen, I think I have the story right. Gallon accused him of of recommending. That's correct pitcher's throw with certain substances to get to have a better grip. And Hill denied it, and it was a whole dramatic exchange uh, done through the media. but but yeah, um, yeah, spin rate looked fine, and velocity was up, like he said. So uh, other than the performance, things looked pretty good for Gallon. it's just it's just hard to know if he's completely healthy because technically, what he was out with was a tear in his ucl which is obviously what we're so freaked about freaked out about uh, with with glass now now it doesn't seem like it's as big of a tear and it's being called more of a sprain which you know those terms are kind of interchangeable and you know i'm i'm not saying i'm not saying i'm super fearful this that that gallon's going to be out for the season you know, in, in the coming days, we're going to hear that. But I, I, it is a possibility, and it's also a possibility he just struggles for a while because he's not totally right, and and, and then he goes on the IL again, and maybe misses the rest of the season. So, not in the clear here, Zach Gallon. A, a, a lot remains to be seen. Assuming
1: he's healthy, he's lined up to face the Brewers at home next week. Would you keep Gallon on the bench for now?
0: Probably. Yeah. After the way this first start went, probably.
1: Yeah, 58 pitches in this one. He was getting knocked around a little bit, so I would think his next start, maybe they get him up around 75, but again, that's only if he's pitching it's, So
0: It's a good matchup. It's a better matchup than against yeah. the Giants, who have the best record in the NL, if you're not aware.
1: Adam Eaton went to the aisle with a strained right hamstring. Adam Engel was in center field, and Brian Goodwin was in right. Scott, any interest in either deeper leagues? Uh, Not really. Oh, right. No. Clayber Torres left Thursday's game with back stiffness. He'll be reevaluated on Friday. Anthony Rendon was not in the lineup, but did do some pregame work to see if he'll be ready for Friday. So, hopefully, good news there. Teoscar Hernandez was placed on the paternity list and will miss a few games for the Blue Jays. Mike Moustakis is back in a walking boot with that heel injury and will be reevaluated in a week. TJ Antone will throw a bullpen on Friday and could return on Sunday. Colton Wong could return on Friday. John Gray will begin a rehab assignment on Sunday. Mike Ford was traded from the Yankees to the Rays for cash and a player to be named later. Not sure if there's any playing time for him, but hey, a trade. Braves prospect Kyle Muller, who we spoke about yesterday, was sent back to the minors, but will return on Monday to start one of their doubleheader games against the, I believe it's the Mets. The D-backs have now lost 23 straight road games, which set the MLB record In that department, and I believe the Baltimore Orioles are right behind them. I think the Orioles have like 19 or 20 straight losses on the road, so we could have that record broken twice in the same season. Would not surprise me. (laughs) The prospect report. Scott put out his article on Thursday, and I will put the link in the podcast description so you can follow along and make sure you check out Scott's prospect report because it is very good and very thorough. And you gave some love to two catchers, Scott. Joey Bart of the San Francisco Giants and Cal Raleigh, who I watched a few videos to make sure I pronounced his name correctly. And it's pronounced like Raleigh Fingers. So in case mm, anybody wanted to know. It's
0: spelled like the capital of North Carolina, though.
1: That is correct. Cal Raleigh of the Seattle Mariners, Scott. So who do you like more between these two? Should we be stashing them in any redraft leagues right now? What do you think of them?
0: Well, I mean, Joey Bart, obviously, former number two overall pick. He is the the higher prospect pedigree. Uh, Their slash lines are very similar. They're both hitting about 350. I think they both have six home runs, at least entering Thursday. Uh, But Cal Raleigh was riding a hit streak of, I believe, 22 games. And um, his strikeout rate was about 12%. Now he, he he's always shown power. He was he hit 29 home runs between two levels in 2019, uh, but not with a great batting average. You know the strikeout rate was pretty typical for a slugger, and uh, you know didn't didn't seem like that big of a deal. But he's just he's hitting so much better, and he's apparently improved as a re- improved as a receiver too. Uh, so now you know a better fit defensively behind the plate, and like we're the Mariners starting a catcher right now. Luis Torrens and Tom Murphy have both been just disastrous at the plate.
1: Hey, 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 Luis Torrens hit a home run on Thursday, Scott.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I'm surprised. Honestly, I'm surprised Cal Raleigh isn't up already. He's 24. What more does he need to accomplish in the minors? And you know, if we're, if we're talking just strictly a redraft league, I would take him over Joey Bart, who doesn't have a path to the ma- basically Joey Bart's path to the majors is is Buster Posey getting hurt. Neither of the two of them have made a start at first base this year, so I don't think that's in the plans. Uh, I, I think it would just it would require an injury for Posey, uh, at least, at least as things stand right now. So, Raleigh, I could see being up any day now. Half your league, probably use a catcher. Might be worth stashing. I mean, I'm, I'm less enthusiastic about stashing possible call-ups overall, but certainly in a two-catcher league, I think Cal Raleigh deserves a look.
1: All right. And I was just looking at Brandon Belt's contract situation, and he is a free agent after this season. So maybe you go out in your Dynasty Keeper League, try and acquire Joey Bart, and talk him down a little bit. Say, look, he's got nowhere to play, man. You Give him up. Trade him to me.
0: His strikeout rate is really high, by the way. Joey Bart's? Um, yeah, it's more than twice what Cal Raleigh's is. It's, it's up near 30%. Yeah.
1: The reason I bring up Brandon Belt's contract situation is Maybe after the season, they let him walk, and they kind of transition Buster Posey to first base, yada, yada, something like that, and then uh, they can have Joey Bart play next year. But he is performing very well right now. Scott prefers to stash Cal Raleigh. Five that are on the verge and are worth stashing in redraft leagues. Jared Kelnick. Oh, that's what I was going to say. I know what they're waiting for. When Kelnick's ready, Scott, they're going to call them both up together. It's going to be Kelnick and and Raleigh. You heard it here first. Uh, Wander Franco. Vidal Brujan, Joe Adele, Jaron Duran. Those are the five worth stashing in redraft leagues right now. And people have been asking, clamoring for Wander Franco. When is he going to be up? I think it might be coming soon. In the month of June, he's batting 421 with three homers, three triples, and five doubles. Franco Mm -hmm. is smashing it right now. And Joe Adele, he is hitting for high average. 373, five homers, but, but that is still coming with a 33% strikeout rate this month. So, mm-hmm. honestly, if you ask me which one we see first, I think it's Juan Franco. Between, him, yeah, and, and between s- him and Joe Adele.
0: To whatever extent it matters, late June is, has often been a point in the past when teams stop worrying about Super 2 uh, being an issue down the line. And it's it's never a clear cut date because it's not something you find out you don't you don't know what the date is for that cutoff until years later because it's based on what percentage of players have accumulated a certain number, a certain amount of service time over the past few years. So it's it's a guessing game. But uh, late June, we're about there. If that was factoring into the race thinking at all. You know, it also helps that, yeah, Wander Franco has really gotten hot at the plate. Uh, Meanwhile, Vidal Brujan is cooled way off. He's only batting about 260 now and hasn't homered in about 20 games. So, you know, we've said a few times that uh, we think Brujan is going to beat Wander Franco to the majors. I don't don't know if that's true anymore.
1: Yep, I would agree with that 100%. And I was one of those people saying that. So I've Mm kind of swapped here. Franco's playing extremely well. Obviously, the Super 2 that comes into play for an organization like the Rays, who obviously they want to keep Wander Franco under contract for as long as they possibly can. Five that are on the periphery, five prospects that have been doing something of note recently. And we spoke about Nolan Gorman of the St. Louis Cardinals, but two Dodgers catcher prospects, Kybert Ruiz and Diego Cartaya. Pirates starting pitcher, Rowanzi Contreras, who I've brought up multiple times. He is crushing it i believe he went seven innings in his most recent start so they're actually letting me letting him go deeper and he's pitching at double a right now i think the pirates are going to be pretty patient with him and then the last name just wanted to bring him up baltimore orioles second baseman jamai jones who they acquired from the angels in the offseason and i saw you scott you little you sneaky snake you picked him up in your scott white dynasty league baltimore has been throwing pat valeca and stevie wilkerson out there at second base so maybe they give jamai jones a shot here scott
0: and Jabai Jones was a top 100 prospect on virtually every list, I, I think, headed into the 2018 season. worn by players
1: like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players. the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. Um,
0: but I, I read on base in baseball America that they he, he kind of got caught up in the launch ankle revolution and it kind of messed up his swing and at the alternate training site last year. He rebuilt his swing. He actually hit seven home runs there over not that many games, obviously. So he actually developed power going away from the launch angle thing, which, you know, every hitter is different. And yeah, he's been great. He's been great so far at at AAA for the Orioles. Now with the Orioles, he was still with the Angels organization last year. Actually was traded straight up for Alex Cobb this offseason. So that's how he came to be on the Orioles. But yeah, uh, Jemai Jones is, I think, back to being an interesting dynasty option.
1: All right, yes, and he does have a little bit of a power-speed combination, four homers and three steals so far this season in the minors for Jamai Jones. We're going to take a quick break, but when we return, we're going to get you set up for Week 13. We'll do it next here on Fantasy Baseball Today. The Week 13 Pitcher and Hitter Planners presented by Line and Kugels, and let's get things started, Scott, as we
0: always do. With two-star pitchers. Who are you looking at for next week? Believe it or not, I'm looking at Ross Stripling. Yeah! Now, he's not my top 2 start pitcher who is rostered in less than 80% of leagues. I have Mike Miner ahead of him. I have Tarek Skubal ahead of him. I'm not sure when Skubal's finally going to break that 80% threshold. Probably coming soon. But uh, Miner's matchups are against the Yankees and Rangers, so two really good ones, which is why I favor him over Skubal, even though I like Skubal more overall. Scoobles matchups. Cardinals, okay, that's a good one. Astros, not so much. Stripling's widely available, though. Oh, Rosters in only 26% of CBS Sports Leagues. We referred yesterday to the good matchups he has at Miami versus Baltimore. I don't have a lot of faith in him as a pitcher, but yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's hard finding these sleeper pitchers every week. There's just the best ones are already on your roster. That is almost always true. Um, But I have him fourth here, stripling among my top 10 sleeper pitchers for next week. Cole Irvin's kind of interesting at Texas, at San Francisco, you know, a pitch to contact guy. So that's a little scary. Yarbrough, Ryan Yarbrough's had some pretty good starts recently. The matchups could be better though. Red Sox, Angels, Jake Odorizzi at Baltimore, at Tigers. You know, you got to love those matchups. But, he doesn't often go even five innings in a start, so yeah, that's it. It's hard for me to recommend Jake Odorizzi too emphatically.
1: All right, so there you go, some two star pitchers for next week, Scott. How about some single start streamers that you're looking at?
0: Austin Gomber again. He's he's getting close to eighty percent rostered, but he's back on the road against the Brewers, who have I think a bottom five offense in terms of OPS. So that's a pretty easy call. Uh James Caprillian's going against the Rangers, that's not bad. Adrian Hauser faces those Road Rockies. It's always a good matchup. Uh, Jameson James and going against the Royals. Uh, I mean it's kind of like uh, it's kind of like Jake Gutierrez where how, you know, is he even going to give you 5 innings to to get a win potentially? And I don't know about that but that's that's the best i have to offer this week. I will point out, you know, if you're in kind of a shallower league and just debating the players already in your on your roster, Blake Snell is making two starts. Mm-mm. I'm I'm leaning toward yes on the, on him one of them is against Arizona, who can't beat anybody right now. The other's against the Dodgers, but Mm-mm. still two starts for Blake Snell. Do you know where those starts are, Scott? They're both in San Diego.
1: Someone Alerted me, I think it was via Twitter, that Blake Snell's sp- splits this season are very drastic. And yes, they are a 1.65 ERA at home, a 10.36 ERA on the road.
0: Yeah, I don't know if there's anything to that or if it's just kind of a, a, it, it, you know, kind of random that it shook out that way. But obviously, it only bolsters the argument for starting Blake Snell. Um, Frankie Montas at Texas at San Francisco. I think he's a must as well.
1: You know, just yesterday I told people, it doesn't matter who Blake Snell's matchups are, you got to get them out of your lineups. And then here we are, <laughs> one day later. Uh, let's move over to the hitter side of things, Scott. Who are some sleepers that you are looking at that are rostered in less than 75% of CBS leagues? You have some really deep names on here, too. I like that.
0: Yeah, yeah. well, there's a lot of good pitchers going this week, and there's a lot of uh, five-game schedules as well, so... Last week was a good week for finding sleeper hitters. This week, not so much. But I do like the Reds' matchup. Jonathan India, uh, the the way he's been playing since mid-May, is probably my favorite sleeper hitter for this upcoming week. I like Joey Votto as well. He homered on third. Both of them homered on Thursday, right? Um, Jonathan Scope also homered on Thursday. He has yet to slow down. His matchups are middle of the road, but they're not bad. I think he continue to go with the hot hand there. Uh, Hunter Renfro's been pretty good over the past few weeks and is especially good against left-handed pitchers. The Red Sox have three of those on the schedule, so he's not a bad sleeper. And then, yeah, there's a couple really deep ones. Abraham Toro, who we talked about earlier, the Astros have the very best matchups, and uh, I th- think I think he's worth looking into. Uh, Bobby Bradley, he also homered Thursday, and he is up to four home runs in 10 games since being promoted. He does have five strikeouts in his past four games, so the strikeouts are are starting to appear for him, which I don't like to see. But uh, only 30% rostered. I think he's a fine hot hand play. And Abraham Almonte, as I mentioned, 1% rostered. The Braves play seven games next week. Matchups are nothing to be afraid of. Oh, I, I missed another one too. Daniel Vogelbach. Yeah, some really... Really deep options this week on the sleeper hitters list. Daniel Vogelbach himself is 9% rostered and uh, been very productive the past two weeks. The Brewers have the third best matchups for hitters. Uh, and, and, you know, that would kind of make Willie Adamas, I guess, a bit of a sleeper too, though he's been he's been ice cold over the past couple weeks.
1: Scott, are you feeling okay?
0: Yeah. I think so. Okay. What I, do I do?
1: No, because I, I don't see CJ Krohn on this list.
0: Ah, yes. The Rockies <laughs> are on the road and yes. for only five games. Yeah, it's rough. So, so I think- not the time to recommend CJ Cron. even though he's homered three times in his past four games. that Last week's recommendation finally paid off.
1: That's right. Stick to your gun, Scott, because I remember <laughs> last week before the Friday podcast, we were talking and you were debating, should I put CJ Crone on the list? He hasn't done anything every time I put him on this list. And I was like, nah, don't do it, man. CJ Cron, he stinks. And you stuck with him. And he has paid off handsomely. CJ Krohn has been hot. But do not play him next week. He's got five games on the road. The five teams with the best hitter matchups. The Astros, the A's, the Brewers, the Blue Jays, and the Marlins. The five teams with the worst hitter matchups. The Nationals, the Cubs, the Diamondbacks, the Mariners, and the Phillies. So there you have it. The Week 13 Pitcher and Hitter Planners presented by Line and Kugels. And I mentioned last week that I went to see Jacob deGrom and the Mets take on the Padres. It was an awesome game. To be there live in person, uh, to see De Goat pitch against the Padres, he was great. Of course, he left that start early as well. Please stay healthy, Jacob deGrom. Anyway, it was the first time I was able to actually drink a Leinenkugel Summer Shandy. This was really cool. And it was great. Like, the first time to actually drink it at a baseball game live. So, shout out to City Field for having a great beer selection. Summer Shandy, told you once, tell you again, unique blend of crisp beer, with refreshing lemonade that fits perfectly when watching a baseball game at home or at the stadium. And the Summer Shandy isn't all they offer. They also have a Session Hellas which has all the flavor of a crisp German-style beer, but it's only 99 calories. And if you're into IPAs, Line and Kugel's offers their Lemon Haze IPA, which is a well-balanced hazy IPA that blends hops with delicious lemonade. So no matter what type of beverage you are craving, Line and Kugels has you covered. Just hand over to Liney.com, L-E-I-N-I-E.com, or follow Line and Kugels on Instagram or Facebook for more information about all of the delicious beers that they brew. So there were a few names that are keeping it up, man. These waiver wire options, we've talked about them this week, last week, and they stayed hot on Thursday. Ryan Mountcastle, two more hits. He's betting 346 in the month of June 70% rostered. He plays seven games next week. Ahmed Rosario, two more hits. Now batting 333 over his last 37 games. He's made some real adjustments this season. I, I love what I'm seeing from Rosario. 49% rostered. Six road games next week. Uh, Jonathan Scope hit his 12th home run of the season. That came off of Shohei Otani. He is 68% rostered is Jonathan Scope, Bobby Bradley, which Scott mentioned hit another home run. Uh, CJ Crone hit a grand slam, but we don't like the matchup, so I'm not going to talk about him. Scott, would you drop Tommy Edmond, who is who has gone ice cold. He's been dealing with an injury recently, so he's been in and out of the lineup, but over mm. 4 with 2 strikeouts on Thursday. He is batting 2.14 with a 536 OPS in the month of June and he's if he's not hitting for batting average, Scott, he will chip in some steals but you really depend on Edmund for that batting average. So, would you consider dropping him for one of these hot middle infielders like A Rosario or a Jonathan Scope?
0: You know, I don't think I would. I hadn't noticed how cold he had been, uh, but, but what what injuries is he dealing with? I didn't I didn't I hadn't noticed that either. He's he's been banged up recently, Tommy Edmund? Yeah, keep talking and I'll find it. <laughs> okay. Uh, but no, he he still has one of the lowest strikeout rates in baseball and is obviously
1: uh,
0: a, a reliable base stealer.
1: Tightness in his torso. He was scratched the past two games. He missed two games yeah. with a tight okay, torso. Okay, so it's very
0: recent. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so it probably hasn't contributed to his struggles. struggles. It, it's probably just a slump. Still one of the lowest strikeout rates, as I mentioned. So the strikeout rate, if you're talking about a points league, I mean, that elevates him there, and obviously the steals keep him... Uh, keep him valuable in in categories, leagues. Uh, I mean, mean, Ahmed Rosario might be closing in on him. They look like pretty similar players. But I still think I'd rather have Edmund. I can't imagine dropping him, to be honest.
1: All right. All right, Scott. It took you a little bit of time to come around on Wade Miley, so I I think it's going to take a little bit more for Ahmed Rosario. But soon enough, he will win you over. Some real adjustments, as I mentioned. His chase rate? Down to 31%. That is a career best. That is 39% for his career. So being much more selective within the zone, he's got a 25% line drive rate. Man, a Rosario. What a guy. Let's talk about some <laughs> Giants hitters. <laughs> 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 they uh, they beat up on the Diamondbacks because everyone's been beating up on the Diamondbacks. I've been so mean to them. I I've, I've got to stop. I'm gonna go to a Diamondbacks been, game. They're terrible. They're the, snake
0: bitten, you could say. <laughs>
1: The first week of August, I am going to be in Arizona, which means I don't know who you're going to be doing the podcast with Scott, so we'll figure it out. But I'm going to be I'm going to go to a Diamondbacks game. I think they're actually facing the Giants that first week of August. So if anyone lives in Arizona, you want to come hang out. I think I got the Welsh coming out to that game, so it's going to be a lot of fun. Maybe maybe I'll go swimming in the, the little pool in the outfield there. But anyway, back to the Giants hitters. Mike Estremski has multiple hits in two of his last 3 games. He has 7 hits in 6 games since returning from the IL. He's not really available. He's 87% rostered. He's got off to a really slow start. Steven Duggar went three for three with a triple and a double. He's batting 324 with six homers and three steals in 43 games with the Giants this season, albeit with a 35% strikeout rate. And Brandon Belt has four straight multi hit games. However, his expected stats are very bad 217 expected <laughs> batting average, 447 expected slugs. Got anything that you would like to say about? Yastrzemski, Steven Duggar, or Brandon Belt?
0: Yeah, Yastrzemski might be coming around in June. He has more walks than strikeouts for the month, and I think this was his... um, He has a couple home runs, too. So, yeah, somebody to keep an eye on. Obviously, the most interesting of these three. Duggar, his slash line is is looking pretty great here. Uh, 324, 387, 593. If I got the most updated one, which I think I did, yeah. That's obviously a really impressive slash line, but strikeout rate is like 35%. I don't know if you mentioned that, Frank.
1: I did it's, not, uh, but yeah, that's really bad.
0: bad. It's really bad. So, you know, he's kind of emerged as this Giants near-everyday center fielder, but I don't, I don't think Steven Duggar has a lot of staying power. Belt's numbers are way better at home than on the road. I actually had him in my sleeper hitters for this upcoming week originally. And I, unlike Crone, I chickened out and removed Belt, and I shouldn't have because four stream multi games. But yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know that he's back to being just enough, in, in a general sense, an advisable mixed league option.
1: So I just checked in on this Tampa Bay Mariners game, Rays Mariners, and a few things here. Pete Fairbanks is in for the save. There's two runners on with no outs. It's a one run game, so that's not great. But Randy Rosa Reina is just having a massive game. 3 for 4, a sock and a shoe, his 10th homer, his 11th steal. The underlying numbers are not good for Rosa He strikes out a lot, but he just makes things happen, man. He's he's on pace for like a near 25-25 season, so I thought that was interesting for yeah. Randy. Let's uh let's see if Pete Fairbanks can pull a little Houdini act and work his way out of This situation, more on some bullpens a little bit later on. Scott, I did a complete disservice to Charlie Morton, who we are 53 minutes in and I haven't even talked about yet, but he had his best start of the season. I do want to highlight some mid-tier starting pitchers here very quickly, but Morton, best start against the Cardinals, seven and two-thirds shutout, three hits, seven strikeouts. He had 18 swinging strikes, and he took a no-hitter into the seventh inning. What did he do differently in this one? He threw his sinker a season-low Two times. He only threw it two times. He went heavy with the four seam and with the curveball, which is smart because a sinker has a 339 batting average against on the season. It's not that smart. You throw your, uh, it's, not, it's not that hard is what I meant to say. You throw your uh-huh. good pitches more. You, you throw your bad pitches less. That That's yeah. the, the recipe for success here, Charlie Morton. Uh, he is down to a 4.03 ERA with a 3.55 XFIP. Scott, so, Overall, I still think Charlie Morton's going to be better than what he has shown this season.
0: Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, mid-threes, mid-threes, X fip And, uh, yeah, just in his past six starts, he's lowered his ERA from 508 to 403. So I know his, his start before this one was not very good. But he's been trending the right direction. And, yeah, seemed to have a better pitch mix. Actually, his curveball is the 5th spinningest in baseball. The fifth spinniest, spinningest. I'm not. I'm not sure what noun form to use for that. There need. I'm. I'm sure there is one, but still figuring it out. But yeah, it's and, and it hasn't dropped. Like he hasn't had spin issues the way so many in the league have had lately. So Charlie Morton is still going to be an asset for you, I think.
1: Dylan Cease. Also part of this mid-tier of starting pitchers that we've got to talk about. He was at the Houston Astros, three and a third, seven runs allowed. Six of those were earned. He got hit hard, 93.5 mile per hour exit velocity against him in this one. And Scott, I think part of the reason why I'm hesitant to move him up, I do have to move him up in general, but I don't want to get him inside my top 30 yet just because he still flashes this inconsistency. Mind you, the Astros is a great lineup. You know, it's a very tough matchup, but he has had three pretty bad clunkers over his last six starts where he hasn't made it past four and a third innings pitched. Uh, So that's why I'm a little bit more hesitant on him. What did you see from Dylan Cease in this one?
0: Yeah. So Dylan Cease, I, 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 I was raving about him yesterday, obviously having him 29th, I think rest of season. And one of the things I highlighted was his spin rate, how his spin rate has jumped up this year and he's, has as much spin as basically anybody on both his fastball and slider. It's 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 a c it's a confusing time to make that argument, understandably. Um, and people who, unlike us, aren't following spin rates very closely from start to start, maybe don't even know how to do it. Probably CCs have a bad start like this one against the Astros. It's worth pointing out. Really tough matchup. And think, oh well, Scott was just talking about a spin rate, and look what happened. Clearly he was Th- those gains he made on it must have been because of some substance that he's not using anymore. But actually, Cece's spin rates have held pretty steady all this time. They haven't dropped dramatically or much at all. So I don't I don't think that's what's going on. And, and obviously, his previous two starts were great. It was you know he's, he's been on a really good run since late April. So this seems like a one off. It doesn't seem spin related. Uh, you know part of the re I was talking about Ethan Katz the White Sox pitching coach earlier and why he looks like a rock star and I mean what he's done with Carlos Rodon and Dylan Cease this year and Lucas Giolito previously. I mean he he just became the White Sox pitching coach but I think he was Lucas Giolito's high school coach or something like that and he's he's the guy who got Lucas Giolito on track when Giolito was looking like a bust of a prospect. So like the White Sox owe a lot to this guy. And um, I know I know he's a big believer in using a core velocity belt for your training, which just kind of aligns your delivery in a way that it, it it accomplishes a lot of things, but among them is it optimizes your spin rate. It it makes it more efficient, the spin. So there are ways of improving spin rate beyond just sticky substances. And, and that's why I think... It has a big role in why Dylan Cease has gotten better this year. So yeah, don't don't panic about the start for Cease. I don't think he's a, a sticky a sticky substance casualty. I think he's going to be great still. It was just a bad a bad outing against a tough lineup.
1: Pete Fairbanks implodes and he allows two runs in the ninth, and he takes the loss for the Tampa Bay Rays. A few other mid tier starting pitchers I did want to highlight quickly: Marcus Stroman, seven innings, two runs. With eight strikeouts, I think this is the best version of Marcus Stroman that we have ever seen. His control has been great. Career best, 2.02 walks per nine. He's had two walks or less in 12 of 13 starts, and he has a career high 12% swinging strike rate. So Keep it up, Marcus Stroman. Kyle Hendricks, remember when we were all worried about him? Well, he has seven straight quality starts and a 3.12 ERA over his last nine starts. He has... Raised his ground ball rate uh, tremendously during that span. So I think that's been uh, a driving force for him. Jose Urquidy against the White Sox. Seven innings of two-run ball with five strikeouts. And the strikeouts have been up for him. He's been throwing his curveball less and his slider more. That is Jose Architi. And Joe Musgrove had kind of a weird start. Seven shutout, which is great, but three walks, only two strikeouts. Swinging strikes were down in this one. Uh, He doesn't give you consistent volume, but the ratios for Musgrove have still been great all season long. Uh, A few other Thursday leftovers. You know you've made it when I save you for like, okay, you're just a really great player. We'll mention what you did at the end of the podcast. Kevin Gosman just keeps chugging along. He's a top three starting pitcher regardless of format. Eight innings, two runs with six strikeouts. Javier Baez hit his 16th home run. Jose Altuve, two more hits. Four homers over his last three games. He has nine home runs total in the month of June. The guy is red hot. Michael Brantley went one for four with his fourth home run, and he is batting 531 in eight games since returning from the IL. Brandon Woodruff was a casualty of Coors Field. Five innings, five runs. Fernando Tatis hit his 22nd home run. He has five home runs in his last six games. And Manny Machado added his 10th home run of the season. The call to the pen. and bullpen updates the Cubs Craig Kimbrell got his 19th save. He's got a 0.64 ERA and a 0.67 whip. Craig Kimbrell is, I think, the fantasy MVP at the relief pitcher position this season. Mark Melanson, he only recorded two outs. He allowed four earned runs, which we spoke a little bit about.
0: Yeah, ERA jumped from 064 to I think about 164. See if I could find that exact number. 186. Oh. All right. Yeah. Well, um, <laughs> you know, pitch to contact guy, it was, crazy high ground ball rate. So you can understand why he's a good pitcher in a general sense, but obviously he wasn't going to s- sustain a sub one ERA all year. That's exactly right. Yeah. I mean, there was going to be a regression.
1: It's kind of similar, like Brandon Woodruff. Okay. He got knocked around in Coors Field. He wasn't going to pitch to a sub-2 ERA all season anyway, either. So, you know, there is going to be some regression for pitchers just in general across the board. For Rysell Iglesias, he picked up his 12th save of the season. And I just mentioned the Tampa Bay Rays. Pete Fairbanks was used in the ninth. He allowed two runs. I'm guessing Diego Castillo was not available because he did not pitch at all. I know he's been used Mm -hmm. a lot recently. So,
0: um. Uh, And I think Lucas Sims needed a day off for the Reds. They had a save situation after coming back against the... The Padres against against Mark Melanson. So Ryan Hendricks, who already had an ERA over four, his ERA jumped over five because he blew that lead, and then Amir Garrett lost it uh, before the before the, even the end of the ninth inning. So the Padres returned the favor against the Reds, and the Reds, I think, are even more. Committed to Lucas Sims as their ninth inning guy now.
1: To stream or not to stream, we'll start with Friday. And we have James Caprillion at the Yankees, Joey Lucchese at the Nationals, Eric Fetty versus the Mets. Oh, I remember this list. It's bad. (laughs) JC Mejia at the Pirates, Uh, Zach Davies versus the Marlins, and Alex Cobb versus the Tigers.
0: Yeah. um, Probably Caprillion is the only one I'd sincerely think about. If you want me to pick a second one, I'll go with Mickey uh, against the Pirates.
1: I don't hate Zach Davies. He's pitched
0: better since the start of the You're match. right. Yeah, he has. He yeah. has. Yeah. It's not bad.
1: All right. Saturday, we have David Peterson at the Nationals, Jake Arrieta versus the Marlins, Cal Quantrill at the Pirates, Colby Allard versus the Twins, Drew Smiley versus the Cardinals, and Patrick Sandoval versus the Tigers. Still not a great list, but I feel like it's a little bit better than the last one.
0: Patrick Sandoval against the Tigers is risky, but he's only one star removed from that 32 whiff effort. So that's interesting. I don't know. Colby Allard against the Twins. They they're still pretty good against left-handers, right? Yeah. So that's risky. But yeah. I'm, I'm, I don't really love anyone else. Who does it who who stands out to you?
1: Drew Smiley, he's not a great pitcher, but the Cardinals offense.
0: Yeah, I it's don't. not been great. I don't have any faith in Smiley at all at this point. Yep. No, I'm with you
1: there. Sandoval's probably the only one that I genuinely like, but if you are desperate, I guess I would say Drew Smiley, but obviously don't love it. For Sunday, J.C. Brubaker versus Cleveland, Alec Mills versus the Marlins, Dylan Bundy <laughs> versus the Tigers, Shane McClanahan <laughs> at the Mar- the Mariners, Marco Gonzalez versus the Rays, and Quang Hyun Kim at the Braves.
0: Well, unfortunately, in a couple weekly leagues, I'm going to have to live with whatever Dylan Bundy gives me against the Tigers, but I I wouldn't recommend it for... I am sorry. (laughs) Great matchups, but... Uh, Shane McClanahan at Seattle seems pretty good. JT Brubaker against the Indians. I'd be fine with that too.
1: Okay, let's wrap up the week with a little fantasy justice. Oh, Chris isn't here. He usually does like the me- the Metallica. Yeah, yeah. Would you like to sub in Scott and and do that?
0: I don't know what that is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I could do that, but <laughs> I appreciate it. I, I do appreciate <laughs> the effort. I I just like this is from David and it's Fantasy Justice. That's right. It's just David Justice.
1: There you- I <sighs> Look at this guy. Always ready. Always ready. Professional broadcaster Scott White. Please help We're in a 19-year-old league that may break up, and I wanted to prevent that. With that said, we have a strong bond and always travel for the draft for a, quote, guys weekend. We are a 12-team Roto Keeper League where you keep a player for three years max. Of late, teams in contention are trading their best keepers to lower-tier teams and getting a king's ransom that's changed the complexion of the league. I get where the lower team... The lower tier team gets a prime time player to keep and build around, but then the contending team gets like four prime players to win now and blows past everyone. I feel this is unfair to teams that have been building for years to win only to see these big deals that change the league to just get a keeper. What are some suggestions to stop these lopsided trades for a keeper that changed the whole complexion of the league? You can keep up to five players. No trades get vetoed. Because we trust the teams uh, can police themselves. Which I do appreciate that last point. And I've actually had this issue in a few of my homekeeper leagues, Scott. Both in football and in baseball. Where it comes down to the trade deadline. And I'm seeing, uh, let's say, a Vladimir Guerrero Jr. In the 15th round. He was drafted, let's say, two years ago or whatever. Uh, and he's traded to someone. And they're going to give away like their three or four best players. And it's frustrating what do you think?
0: Yeah, it's a problem. It's a problem in keeper leagues. Um, you need to make it hurt more for the contending teams to give up that much volume. I mean, an easy way of doing that was just to make it a lot more keepers. Um, but, you know, that that obviously changes the, the complexion of the league itself. One way to dis, make it a disincentive for the the non-contending teams is to do a consolation bracket in addition to the championship bracket. And uh, the winner of the consolation bracket gets the first overall pick. But that might not be enough incentive unless if if you make it a snake draft still. Yeah. You know, you, you might have to make it a more like a traditional draft. Not a traditional fantasy draft, but you know, like the NFL draft where it's just the same order every round. Yeah. But those are you know, those are some fairly drastic changes, too.
1: What about setting a limit, Scott? Like if it's clear that a keeper is being traded, let's say you, can, you can't get more than two players in return. or is that not fair either?
0: Well, that sounds like a judgment call that wouldn't be fair to ask anybody to make.
1: Right? Because um, that's something I've tried to police in my keeper leagues, and, and you're right. like we run into the same issues. Where it's, oh, what do you determine what's a keeper trade and what's not? So, it's tough. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, I've also done the... I feel like there's a simpler answer than I'm just... You know, I'm I'm answering this raw, so I don't... (laughs) I'm just kind of going top of mind here.
1: I've also done the consolation bracket, but mm -hmm. the thing is, if every team that doesn't make the playoffs basically sells off all their decent players for keepers... It's they're all competing against each other, right? So they're all going to have bad teams anyway. Yeah. So it's um, it's in it's theory, a tough but you know,
0: doesn't always work out that way. And it may not be enough of an incentive anyway. But you know, I I I, I do think like the, the leagues where this hasn't been an issue as much is are the ones that have the most keepers because obviously, you know, you, you need to have you know if you, if you have more than just 3 or 4 keepers you can't afford to give away four keepable players at least i'm not saying trades like that would never happen but with less frequency for sure
1: what's the ideal keeper amount for you scott say you just play in a 12 team league
0: well um, most of my keeper leagues are deeper than that so i i'd be i don't have i haven't put it to the test maybe enough to say with ton of confidence but i think 10 to 15 sounds about right
1: I was thinking 8 to 10. That might get the job done. So maybe 8 to 12. That's the range that you're looking at. So a few possible uh, solutions there for you, David. But know that you're not alone. Other fantasy commissioners have dealt with a similar issue, at least Scott and I have. So try those things out and let us know how it goes. I believe justice has been served. Yeah, yeah. For Scott, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball Today. We'll be back again on Monday. Bye-bye. If you've ever been in the market for a new home, you know home shopping can be a lot. There's so much you don't know and so much you need to know. What are the neighborhoods like? What are the schools like? Who is the agent who knows the listing or neighborhood best? And why can't all this information just be in one place? Well, now it is on homes.com. As somebody who's been through this, I can tell you these features are so, so incredibly valuable. They've got comprehensive neighborhood guides and detailed reports about local schools. And their agent directory helps you see the agent's current listings and sales history.